0: Well, this morning we begin a brand new series for a brand new year. And the series is entitled Hall of Faith. I think that if I were to say to you, what do all three of these cities have in common? Canton, Ohio, Cooperstown, or Cleveland? What would you be able to respond with? They all start with C, right? In each one of the cities, they have a building dedicated, and titled a Hall of Fame. If we go to Canton, Ohio, we find the NFL players that have excelled and exceeded their profession and the position in which they held within the league. If we go to Cooperstown, we're confronted with individuals like Babe Ruth and so forth in Major League Baseball. If we go to Cleveland, we're talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In each case, we find that individuals have been placed in a place of prominence and position due to the fact that they had exceeded all expectations that were put upon them in their various fields, that be football, baseball, or even rock and roll. When we come to Hebrews chapter 11, God gives us a list of individuals that were used in such an extraordinary way. And it wasn't because they were extraordinary people. God loves to use ordinary people in extraordinary ways. As we look at each one of these individuals that we find in chapter 11, which has been called the Hall of Faith, this is it. These are the ones that God wants us to remember. And by taking a look at the lives of each individual as we work through chapter 11 in the context of Hebrews, we're going to find again that it wasn't the individual that was special. It was their faith in God that excelled them and allowed them to change the world as we know it. It is this that I want to bring to your attention because I believe going forward, we are going to have to be individuals that walk by faith. We're going to have to allow that faith to comfort us in our times of trial, trouble, and tribulation. We're going to have to be real with ourselves and allow that faith to carry us when our circumstances are overwhelming to us, when the world doesn't make sense to us any longer. It is our faith that we are going to have to turn to to stabilize us in that moment in time when our hearts, our hearts grow vulnerable, and our minds begin to question and doubt let it be the faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that covers us at that moment to embrace us and to assure us once again of the reality of not only the existence of God but that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him so if you will let us begin our journey through the Hall of Faith together. And as we come to the entranceway to the Hall of Faith, let us imagine for a moment that we are standing at the bottom of the enormous staircase. Uh, the one you would find, for example, at the Field Museum, or maybe at the Shed Aquarium downtown. And we're at the bottom and we're looking up and we see the palisade, we see the columns, we see the, uh, the ornate uh, ar- architecture of the building and so forth. And what catches our attention is that r- what's written above is, are these words. Without faith, it is impossible. Dot, dot, dot. From the very beginning of our journey through chapter 11 we are confronted with the reality of this statement. It is a statement that we find in Hebrews 11.6. It is causing us to consider, it is provoking us to thought, to consider what is impossible without faith. It is asking us a question before we even begin our journey to allow us to examine our own heart and to challenge our own mind as the writer of Hebrews states very clearly in chapter 11, verse 6, if you'll read it with me. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him by faith. One wrote, he said this. To summarize this verse, he would classify it and state it as such. He says that it is utterly impossible to please God without faith. What does that mean, he he asks. The person will never be acceptable to God, nor accepted by God. Without faith, the person will never live with God here in this world, nor in the world to come. Without faith, a person has to plow through this life alone and handle all the trials, temptations, suffering, accidents, disease, and death by himself. Without faith, a person stands all alone in this world, utterly without God. For it is impossible for us to please him apart from faith. Faith is a reality that operates in your life every single day, regardless of the fact if you know it or not. Each one of you this morning, you got up, you prepared yourself for church, you made your way here, and as you got in your car this morning, how many of you went out to start your car to warm it up before you left to come to church? Do you realize that that was an act of faith? Well, you say, how was that an act of faith? Well, you had enough faith to leave your warm home to go out into the cold and to sit in a, in a metallic vehicle that requires 62,372 different operations to go perfectly for that car to start. Is that faith? It's exactly what faith is. You believe something, and you acted accordingly. You sat in that car, you started that car, you turned the key, you pressed the button, however your personal car starts, and you trusted that it was going to start because that's what it was designed to do. What would have probably caught you by surprise is if the car hadn't started properly that probably would have thrown you off rather than just getting in the car and thinking, oh, is it going to start or not? I don't know if this piece of metal is going to operate in the manner in which it's designed to do, etc. And I tell you that if you have that much faith, that same amount, that same degree of faith, and instead of putting it in your car, you put it in God. Jesus says you can move mountains. It's not the size of our faith. It's not the depth of our faith. It's in whom we have faith in that matters. As we will discover as we move through the 11th chapter of Hebrews. As we walk through the hall of faith. As we are now confronted with the reality of that posed question. That statement I should say that it is impossible. Without faith, it is impossible. And again, I believe that every action that we take, everything that we do requires an amount of faith to move forward to condone the action in which we've considered. So it's not an issue of an ability to have faith. The issue normally comes down to this. Each individual is able to exercise a certain degree of faith. The problem is is that when it comes to Christianity and their lack of walking by faith with God, it's not the issue of faith, it's the issue of them not knowing who their God is. The issue is not understanding what God's desire and will is for your particular life. That's the problem we face. So when we talk about this faith, I'm not trying to resurrect something that isn't there. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to now bring you into the reality that if you place that faith in God where it belongs then things will begin to radically change in your life. Why? Because God uses ordinary people as we will discover over the next several weeks for extraordinary things. But let us begin As we stand at the foot of that staircase and we look up and read those words, and without faith, it is impossible. And now the writer of Hebrews is telling us what is the impossibility? That word impossible means that it is beyond our personal capability and ability to do what is to follow. Apart from faith we cannot accomplish what is to follow within the verse, and that is to please God. So therefore, there's no substitution. It's faith or nothing. The only manner in which we can please God is through faith. For without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And that word again, let me stress it. It means it's completely out of the realm of possibility. We cannot do it. There's nothing in us that warrants it, and there's nothing within us that allows us to fulfill the requirements that would please Him. And as a result, those circumstances then become out of our control. We no longer have the ability to please God in and of ourselves. All we can do is please Him by having faith within him. As the Moody Commentary wrote, it stated, this expression by faith means that he believed all the disclosed of all the divine truth revealed to him was factual. That he conformed his character and conduct to it. That he lived in dependency on God. What such faith it is possible for anyone to thus please God. So all the revelation, all the insight, all the knowledge, when we simply believe it to be factual, true, that it is truly the umbrella of reality in which we live under, we therefore can please God by the faith that we have within him. The individual that this is speaking of is a man named Enoch, which I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this morning, because this is a summary statement that is made concerning this particular particular inductee into the hall of faith. It is a summarization based on the limited information that we have concerning Enoch that the writer of Hebrew gives us that we must consider before we go any further into our journey into the hall of faith. This faith is so key crucial it is so relevant for our Christian lives that apart from it we cannot please God. And so that is the challenge that we are faced with. And as we walk through the hall of faith and we stand there and look at each of the inductees there within the hall of faith and we learn from their life lessons specifically that in which what they had to overcome to allow themselves to keep their faith in God. And that faith is this, that they know, believe and understand and trust who God is and therefore they live accordingly. They live accordingly. It's one thing to say that you believe God exists. It's another thing to say that you believe God. And it's that distinction that we make this morning. So this faith, which we'll define for ourselves next week, I lay out before you, And without it, it is impossible to please God. And for whoever would draw near to him, that word near means anyone who would worship him, anyone who would walk with him, must believe these two facts about him. Number one, that he exists. And that number two, he rewards those who seek him. And in the Greek, it is those who diligently seek him. God desires such an intimate relationship with each and every one of us. It is so obvious from Genesis to Revelation, in every covenant, every dispensation throughout the scriptures, it was always the heart intent of the Lord that He have a relationship with us. That it would be real to us that it would be something that we cherish and it would be bonded, not in, o- in obligation, but we would be bound to him in love. That's what God desires from us and wants to have with us, each and every one of us here today. But to allow that relationship to grow and to flourish, we must have faith. We must embrace our relationship with God by faith. If we're going to grow, we must grow within that faith in God. That trust, that love, that interaction. It must be through faith. And as the Bible writes here concerning drawing near to Him, it means growing closer to someone within a relationship. It means to move towards a reference point with the possible implications in certain contexts such as this one of a a receptacle meaning that the individual draws near to us in response to us drawing near to Him. And that is consistent with what James says. He says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. See, it is often our mistake that we make when we feel that we are distant from God or that he is not there and that he doesn't care and so forth that somehow at some time at some place God drifted away from us when in actuality the Bible's clear it is not God who drifted away from us it is us who have drifted away from God and God is always calling us to come back because he desires that relationship with us He desires that you would walk with Him. It desires that you would love Him. Those are what He wants from us within this relationship. And the beginning of that return to God is always through repentance. Remembering where we had turned off, where we got distracted. Remembering that moment of the things that uh, took us away from our God and saying, Lord, forgive me and returning to Him once again. But if we are to do so, and if we are to worship Him, and to walk with Him, and that's what the writer here entails by these things when he says to draw near to Him, we must do so by faith. That trust, that belief, the knowledge of, as we move closer within this relationship, the reality of the relationship becomes even more important to us. When the religious leaders came to Jesus while he walked this earth, they were all fascinated by the Ten Commandments. That was their thing. They were a master of the Ten Commandments. And of course there were always those individuals debating on which of the commandments were the greatest. And of course they were referring to one of the ten. But when asked Jesus this question well which is the greatest commandment of all of the ten commandments? Which one stands out amongst them all? Jesus pointed in a different direction to really get to the heart of the issue. He says, the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. That's what I want. I want you to love me because I love you. And once you realize and experience the dynamic of God's love, it changes our hearts and turns our hearts towards him and all we can say in return is God I love you. Once we understand all that Christ has done for us, all that God has done for us, we can't help but to fall in love with him and return. And then he said the second is as equally important and that is to love your neighbors as yourself. That's the heart of Christianity and I don't know where that's gone. Christians should be people who love the Lord so radically that they are willing to lay down themselves and to love others just as much as they love themselves. And trust me, we all love ourselves probably way too much, right? We all spend time on ourselves, preparing ourselves for public viewing. At least we hope we do. Well, maybe some don't are they really better off than we are? Have they been freed from that bondage? I don't know. But that being said, let us understand that this love that God has for us, we reciprocate and love Him in return. And as a result, that love then moves us to love one another as we love ourselves. And that is the heart of worship. And all of this exists. In faith. Again, I believe we've established that all of us have faith, and all of us have the ability to exercise a certain degree of faith. The problem is, is not the issue of faith. The issue, the problem is, the issue of knowing who God is, and what that faith opens up to us as a believer in Jesus Christ. That's where we're confused. That's what we don't understand. That's where we uh, fall and fail and we fall into despair and doubt during our times of troubles and trials and tribulations. But he says here that our faith must have two components and that first of the two components begins with the existence of God. Knowing that God is real. Now, I don't know if there's an individual here that would deny the fact that God exists. I think that looking around this morning that all of you would tell me that God exists. And that's good, but remember that even the demons understand that God exists. They have that knowledge that they have ascended to, the revelation has been given, we have the information, but we don't know what to do with the information. But God wants us to go one step further. In the word exist in the Greek, it is so much more robust than just existence in the manner in which we understand that word used in the English language today. Knowing that God exists is more or less looking at an object, not from an individual dimension, but from a three-dimensional perspective. That it has length, height, breadth, etc. It's not one-dimensional. For example, it's the difference between looking at a painting and a sculpture. Looking at a painting, we see a one-dimensional at best um, artistry, and we look at it in the, in the one dimension in which it was created, but a statue we can now look at from multiple perspectives. In Christianity, those multiple perspectives come from the knowledge that we have of God accompanied with the experiences that we have with God. The knowledge that we have of God would be that individual uh, perspective, that one-dimensional perspective, but a three-dimensional understanding of God would be that accompanied with the fact of personal experiences. If you've ever gone to the Art Institute here in Chicago, before my daughter went off to college, she really wanted to hit the Art Institute. I was like, really? Oh, really? Oh, Dad, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be fantastic, you know? And I'm just like, we're, you know, we're going to see people, you know, and they throw up colors on the thing, and it's called art. You know, I call it a mistake. And, uh, and I'm supposed to enjoy this. You know what? I couldn't believe it, but I loved it. I was like a kid in the candy store. Look at this one. Oh, look at this one over here. Look at this one. Dad, come back here. Dad, we're going to put you on the harness again. Come back here, Dad. I couldn't get enough of it. And looking at some of the statues and some of the Christian portraits that were there and so forth depicting different scenes from the biblical accounts, I was enthralled. But I noticed that I did something with the statues that I didn't do with the paintings. I walked around the statues to get a full perspective of every dimension and every aspect of the sculpture to help me understand it. And the reason I did that is because it was something more than just a one-dimensional Picture that could be individually interpreted by the microcosm of the personal experiences of the day and contextualized within the personal understanding of the individual. I'll let you chew on that in just a minute. But when it comes to God, he is looking for something more from us. He wants to know He wants us to know, I should say, that He exists. And there are three ways that we can walk around this together, to understand it in a three-dimensional way. Number one, the revelation that he gives us through the heavens and earth should lead us to the understanding that God is more than just one who exists, right? When you look out into the heavens and you're like, God made this. You look to the dynamics of the earth and you say, God made this. You look at every creature in which God formed and you said, God made this. I'm not sure why he made mosquitoes, but he did. And he made mosquitoes, and uh, then he made bats to eat the mosquitoes. And as a result, we get a larger, deeper understanding of God. Because then we understand that God created us. And he placed us within his creation. And there's something unique about all of us in the creation process. And that is, that is the fact that we are created in the image of our God. He placed us as a statue in this garden to reflect who he is. And just by that alone, I know more about God in a three-dimensional purpose than a one-dimensional purpose. God created me in his image. He designed me, he created me, and when he did so, he knew what he was doing. And as a result now, my whole beginnings change the manner in which I look at life today and how I look at life in the future. The hopelessness that many carry with them today is a direct result of the abandonment of the idea that God has created all things and that we are a mere product of an, of an accident in a process called evolution. We have severed ourselves from any kind of identity in our history, and therefore we have created for ourselves a vacuum and a void in our future that has left us currently in a place of despondency and despair. We don't know who we are anymore, do we? People struggling with understanding, who am I? What am I here for? What is my purpose? Why am I so lonely? Why do I feel so empty constantly? They don't understand. It's because they've been divorced from the meta-narrative in which they were created within. And as a result, they're like a sea being tossed on a on on an ocean without any kind of control not knowing what direction they're going in not having any points of orientation whatsoever they are just drifting from one place to another and God says I've revealed myself through my creation in you I have a purpose for you you were created in my image I love you And I want you to love me in return. But then 2,000 years after creation, an infant was born in a stable in Bethlehem. God himself stepped out of heaven and became a man. The ultimate revelation of God to the world. For Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And as these chapters and verses give us the life of Jesus Christ from uh, Matthew 1 all the way to John chapter 20, as we read and understand and we watch the interaction and the compassion and the love, we're getting to see our God. And it's more than just one dimensional, isn't it? Now it's three dimensional. Because the manner in which he handled them is the manner in which he handles us. And we get to know him personally. As we understand, as the the Bible continues to unfold this love letter that God has written to us to call us back to him. And Jesus says that throughout them, it is that it is me that they testify of. And we get a deeper perspective of who God is knowing that God is real, that He's the creator of all things and then sent Jesus to save us from the greatest calamity and that is sin that results in death. God came to save us. And now we have His word. And he gave it to us, number three, his written word, that we may know him more thoroughly. Where we may have a general understanding of God, now we get the specifics of God through his word. And as we read it, we grow and we understand and we see the depth of his nature and his character and so forth. And we begin to expand our understanding. And we see what he is capable of doing. And therefore the image of God is now before us perfectly through creation, through Christ, through his word. And he is not pointing to any God. It is not any God that is referred to here that we can not please apart from faith. It is the one true God. And now he says in the three dimensional understanding that you have of me act accordingly. Why is it that we say that we believe in God and yet we live each and every single day as if we don't? Why is it that we believe in the abilities of God but each and every day we live as if some, for some reason those abilities have been uh, stifled or cut off? Let me ask you a question. What can God not do on your behalf? What can't he do? Well, the only thing the Bible says he can't do to you is lie to you. Isn't that refreshing? With all the other voices of our world yelling at us and shouting at us and telling us what we should think and what we should do, they have no restraints upon them. In fact, now we are inundated with fake news, fake information, etc. But the one thing that God cannot do is he cannot lie to us. And anything God was capable to do in the scriptures, he's capable of doing today. Do we believe that? Yeah, let's believe it. Hey, can God raise the dead today like he did back then? Sure he can. Can he part Lake Michigan? I don't know why he'd want to, but can he part it? Of course he can. Can God provide for us today as he provided for those who in the scriptures who walked with him and believed in him? Can God heal us? Absolutely. What God what is it that God can't do that requires us leads us to turn to the world and say help me instead of going to God and saying save me? What is it? What is it in this that he can't do for us? or is it our limited understanding of who He is and what He wants and desires for us that keeps us from moving closer towards Him and allowing Him to be God? Because the existence of God is not enough, is it? Because the writer continues on after stating this. You must believe that He exists in that three-dimensional form in which we just articulated. But number two, And that he rewards those who diligently seek after him. That's what the word seek here means. It means seek diligently. I wish the ESV would have put diligent in there because it has a high emphasis. It's a priority that we make. God is not the last option. He is always the first choice. When I'm in trouble, when I'm in need, when there's a problem, I'm not going to exhaust all my personal resources or all my personal uh, abilities. I'm going to go to God first and foremost. So often in the 30 years that I have been a Christian, when I have tried to fix the problems myself, I've only made them worse in many of occasions. I'm going to God first now and seeing how he would want me to do it. Notice what one commentator said about this diligent pursuit of God. He says, God does not reward the sleepy-eyed, complacent, non-thinker, half-interested, worldly-minded pleasure-seeker. God rewards those who diligently seek to know and to follow Him. The idea is that we must be earnest and persevere and endure to the end in our pursuit of seeking God. That's what we are meant to do. Hey, if we can't handle our problems without running to the secular world, why should anyone believe us when we tell them about God? We are meant to be lights in the darkness. We are meant to be exceptions to the rule. And the world needs to see that. As Barclay wrote, he said, We must believe not only that God exists, but God also that God cares for us personally. Without that deep conviction, faith in a biblical sense is not possible. We have to understand that God cares about us. God cares where you're at right now at this moment, at this place. God cares about you. In fact, he invites you to cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. And we have to understand that within this word reward, it's more than just rewards that we get at the end for doing good, etc. It's rewards for doing it the way God would have us to do it. We are exhausting every single secular resource in trying to perfect life here on this earth and yet the author of life we have turned from and we disregard the input of his wisdom through his word concerning those subjects and today one of the places that we find ourselves failing greatly is in the aspects in the pursuit of relationships people are seeking relationships everywhere they're trying to have relationships with one another But our society has created individuals that are so selfish and so self-seeking that having a relationship with one or two having a relationship in that position together is almost next to impossible. Do you realize that the Bible is replete with wisdom concerning having relationships? From the ultimate relationship with God to our relationship with our spouses to our relationship with our kids, our relationship with one another Bible is replete with wisdom about how those relationships should operate and how they can operate on a healthy manner but see there's a stipulation there's an aspect of that relational pursuit that people don't care for they don't like it so they want to find another way they want to find the ability to enhance and to grow within that relationship by some other means because the bible says why don't you approach that a relationship is self sacrifice why don't you approach that relationship with not me first but them first why don't you approach that relationship in a love that is greater than the love that you have for yourself why don't you approach that relationship in a manner in which is uh, through humility rather than pride But God says, this is how it will work. And let me ask you honestly, when we look to the world today in the aspects of specifically relationship-driven individuals, how is it faring? Is the world exceeding in their pursuit of relationships? Or does the world feel more separated, apart, and lonely today than it ever has before? And all of this is made possible by faith. We need to not only know God, but to believe in God enough that it changes our lives and that we live accordingly. Now, faith isn't confined to one element of our Christian life. Faith is in every aspect of our walk with the Lord, our living with God. It begins through salvation. Our salvation is through faith and faith alone. When it comes to the fullness of the Holy Spirit within us, it is by faith that that is embraced. When it comes to our sanctification, God taking us out of the world in this distorted, uh, deformed image that the world has created us in the image of, when we get saved, He takes us out of there and He begins to reshape us. He begins to remold us into the image of Jesus Christ that of perfection that sanctification process is through faith. We can walk day by day with an assurance and a security that the world does not know, and we can do so by faith, the Bible tells us. When it comes to our peace, a peace has been promised to those who follow Christ that surpasses all understanding. That peace is embraced by faith. When it comes to healing... I believe that God made us and that God can fix us. And sometimes we need to give God a moment of time to fix us before we run to some other means. Does that say I'm anti-doctor? No, not at all. I go to the doctor, I go for my checkup, etc. I get my blood test and then I get a Scooby-Doo Band-Aid in return. They actually have them there for me. It's a good doctor but God can heal. Not only physically, He heals us spiritually. He can heal relationships. He can heal marriages. He can heal relationships between parents and children. God can heal anything if we will diligently seek Him. It is by faith that we overcome this world. It is that victory that overcomes the world even our faith. 1 John 5, 4 When it comes to the old life, it is by faith that we walk in the newness of life and therefore no longer fulfill the wills of the flesh. It is by faith that we overcome the wilds of the devil as we shield ourselves with the shield of faith. It is by faith that we live every aspect of our Christian life. This is why we are entering into this time together on Sunday mornings because it is impossible to please God apart from faith. And as we now journey up the stairs and we are confronted with the reality of that statement and we see that faith now impacts us in so many different places of our Christian experience, we now need to understand what faith is Because as we enter in now to the Hall of Faith, we are now uh, met with a wall that states the definition of faith that we'll talk about next week. It is this faith that God desires us to have. And then as we enter further into the Hall of Faith, we'll go from exhibit to exhibit, individual inductee, one right after another as we work through the 11th chapter of Hebrews And we discover that these ordinary people used by God in extraordinary ways were people just like you and me. And as a result, our motto will be, if they could, so can we. And as we move through this, we'll learn. And we're going to learn specifically what they overcame to allow that faith to have its perfect work within the individual. And again, some of you might be here this morning just saying in your heart, I don't know if I can ever come to that place. I I don't know if I'll ever have that kind of faith. And again, Jesus said this, and he said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Did you ever notice this has said that? So as we entered in, we discover that without faith it is impossible. And now Jesus is saying to us as we get further in, and nothing will be impossible for you. I am trying to open up for you a new dimension of your Christian life. I'm asking you to consider what the Word says in a healthy manner. And I am not promising you that your faith is going to lead you to prosperity and to all health. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. But what I do believe is that the Bible will allow God to, or the faith will allow God to take you where He desires to take you. And an ordinary person can be used in an extraordinary way. And each of these examples that we have before us overcame certain aspects of their circumstances in life to allow that faith to bring them into that position. It is not the size of our faith that I'm concerned about. It's in whom you have faith within. By the end of it all, as we come through the tour and we begin to exit and leave the Hall of Faith, I want you to know that in each and every life of each and every one of the inductees, God showed himself strong. And by the end of it all, I want you to be able to say, God can do the same for me today. Trusting him in a whole new way, in a whole new year, this year, 2018.